Hello, and welcome to Leading Inspired Learning, a Strive podcast. Welcome. My name is Ali Scott. I'm the project manager of Strive, and I will be your host on today's episode. So today we welcome a very special, special guest, Kathy Harris. Uh, You are a pedagogical director at the Huron Heights London Bridge location, Um, but you've also been uh, a Strive member since forever. You were on the advisory committee, professional learning committee. I can't even tell you what year I started to become more active in the community, but have felt a part of the uh, the Strive family for, for quite a few years yes. now. So it's we're been, so it's lucky been to have lovely. you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. So we're excited to chat today. We recently had a site tour over at uh, Kathy's location at Huron Heights, um, where we welcomed the community into this space. Um, it's a beautiful center. It's uh, a personal touch for me because it was my very first child care center I worked at uh, when I was a, a Western student. Mm-hmm. I summer interned there. And I think what was so beautiful to see was so many familiar faces. Yes. The retention that you've had there, the incredible staff that have been there. And that was 10, 12 years ago. Yeah, we. it's so great when we have returning people, whether they are families or educators, sometimes at some of our sites, even children. And I guess yeah. it could happen at Huron Heights too. We've been around for, I believe since 1999, but it's so great to have people return and to still see familiar faces. That's yes. always an added touch. Familiar faces and familiar things. The beadwork throughout the center yes. has been there for ages. Yes, I, I'm sure I contributed at some point in my summer. I couldn't tell you which one. Love that. Love that. <laughs> but it's such a beautiful space, and we were so thrilled to um, welcome quite a few folks from the community into that site tour. And I think what is so unique about your space, it's a large center. Mm-hmm. How many... So we're licensed for 127 children. So two infant rooms, we have three toddler rooms, and we have four preschool classrooms. So yeah, big. it's big. It's, it's big. big. Yes. But you have it was a it was a purpose built building. Yes. When it was built, and the space that we're going to talk about today, the atelier space, back in my day, was actually used as a gymnasium. Yes. Yes. And we would have mats and balls and that kind of stuff there. So what in what why this atelier? Why did that change from a gym space to an atelier? And for folks who don't know what is an atelier? So I like to call our atelier and I'm sure you could look it up and there would be lots of different definitions mm-hmm. to it. But the way in which I describe it to our educators and to prospective families, current families, is that it is a thinking and creating space. Mm, that's beautiful. And and I I have to say that COVID probably contributed to the space being transformed. Mm. When I arrived at Huron Heights from uh, another London Bridge site, this was in um, 2021. Mid-pandemic. Yes, and so we were still in that place of having to reduce enrollment and clearing space in the classrooms to allow for people to be further apart. Mm. So there was a whole lot of furniture and equipment in the gym so it wasn't used as a gym when I first arrived Mm. and perhaps that helped me to see other possibilities for the space and 
when we finally got word that we could start to uh, fill our centers again, then we knew that we needed to get tidying. Mm. And a lot of that stuff had been there probably since opening and and mm-hmm. as we know things over the years get a little bit tired yes. and and um so lots went into the dumpster mm-hmm. lots went uh to secondhand stores mm-hmm. and we kept a whole lot as well yeah. and so what we did was we actually the atelier that you saw was the second atelier okay we did have an empty classroom uh it is right now uh preschool classroom with 24 children in it so it's a bigger preschool classroom and this also was a storage space Mm. and clutter is something that has just always it drives me crazy at home and in in the centers and so that was the first place that we tackled and we emptied it right out and I saw this empty space and I knew that it was time so over the years we had um we take our inspiration from all kinds of different places Uh and and early days for me I believe it was 2005 actually I know it was 2005 because I was on maternity leave okay and we had at London Bridge they they gave us a bus trip to St. Louis oh fun and there is the St. Michael's School in St. Louis okay and preparatory reading for the bus tour was um, in the spirit of the studio Mm. so learning from it's a North American written book learning from the ateliers in Reggio okay and it was it was mind-boggling for me I just couldn't believe the things that they were doing in this site and the way in which it was set up Mm. it was so beautiful and um the actual bus trip itself, I, I actually was going through a lot of second uh, guessing, even my attending this trip, because I had like a five-month-old baby at home, yeah. and, and I was feeling really guilty for going, and it was it was a struggle. Mm-hmm. It was probably a four- or five-day trip, and I am so glad that I went. It's a beautiful, beautiful school. And I think one of the things that excited me most, and it's, it's an odd thing, but I read in that book how in their atelier, the children had created something like 17 shades of blue paint. Oh, wow. I'm like, how is that even a thing? How is that even possible? But then going to those spaces, you're like, okay, I get it. They dig deep Mm. into into everything that they do. And I, I think that was probably the first, that was the first time that I had seen a center set up in that way. And so it had always been in the back of my head. Yeah. And often things will come to me, and I know that if I if I see something and just go and do it, it's not authentic. Yeah, you right? gotta let it build. Yeah, and simmer, and yeah. um, it's gotta come out at the right time. Yes, right. And so the right time for um, for money, the right time yep. for space, mm-hmm. the right time for um, my comfort level, and and the people who I work with. There's so many things that we have to put into consideration. For sure. And so I had this sort of rumbling around in my head, these dreams of this space for years and years and years. And then I go to Huron Heights and I'm presented with this big empty classroom. And I thought, okay, this is the time. Yeah. The timing is right. Yeah. And so we, we really wanted it to be left fairly open. We didn't mm-hmm. want to set up play zones for the like children. A traditional this, sense of a classroom, that's right, not a that's house right. center or yeah, okay. Absolutely, absolutely. We really wanted it to be a zoneless space with okay. materials 
for the children to create their own um, their own moments of play and yeah. their own um, just th- just be inspired by what is happening around them. Yeah. And uh, and so the first material that we put in that atelier was fabric. And it was so fun. And yeah. the children, the children would sort of tiptoe in when they first entered, and they would look at each other with such trepidation. And a foreign-looking place for them. It was this big, wide-open room with just fabric. And in no time at all, the children just played. Mm. And we had to enter into the, this space with a new way of being and thinking as well. Right. It wasn't a, a place where we wanted to direct the children to be in this way right they wanted to run so we allowed for that mm-hmm. we took their shoes and socks off and and um we wrapped them in fabric and we wrapped ourselves in fabric yeah. and we created hammocks and um just so many really cool things yeah. happened we loved this space but then what happened was we were uh given the opportunity or not given the opportunity but we were informed that this this atelier space was going to become a classroom again and I was a bit heartbroken. Yeah. I was a lot heartbroken. Understandably. The educators were also pretty sad about it. They really loved this alternative place mm-hmm. in the center. So it gets set back up as a classroom with the need for childcare in the community. We have a social responsibility to fill the spaces that we have. We, do, we yeah. can't simply say, well, we don't want to have this space for that because we have this beautiful atelier happening that's right like there is other things that we need to consider as well yeah the needs of children and family absolutely the community the sector everything but then there was the gym still full of things right (laughs) and we decided well that's going to be the next atelier the educators were nervous. The educators yeah. were a little bit disappointed. Even some of the children hmm. were saying things like, why did you take the gym away? <laughs> I can and see that. Yeah, like yeah. it's such a beloved space. Yeah. But because we had such great experiences in what we call atelier number one, yeah. <laughs> I felt really confident mm-hmm. in moving in that direction and saying, I know, I hear you, but, but. trust, just trust me. Yeah. And so we began with... always what we have on hand there was never this big shopping trip it was always what we had on hand and I just love the fact that our very first block area was a little platform with a plastic tote full of blocks and if you could just see what that area looks like now it's just gorgeous we'll have to share some pictures on the website yes so that folks can get a sense who haven't visited yeah and and like how much it's evolved over time and how pleased we were with that look look at our look at our block (laughs) area and then over time everything grows and evolves and and it really is now this 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 beautiful space that is now a new beloved space Mm -hmm. the children enter into the space with with wide eyes and i think that it's a magical space for them i really do it feels magical when you walk in it doesn't feel like a a typical child care classroom and and you touched on that and, and you kind of said there was a bit of a block area but that evolved over time and it's it's interesting because there are similar thing, you know, similar benches to what we see, similar blocks to what we've seen, but the way in which they're used and the invitations that I've seen photographs of that have been set up by your team just provoke that what appears to be this this deeper invitation to play. 
absolutely play and think mm -hmm. and listen and offer. It is set up very, very intentionally. As soon as you enter the room, you are greeted with three children's benches that invite you to sit down and gather. There's always this coming together when we enter this space. There's a large red drum. I purchased this at a secondhand store and it sits on the floor. And one of the first things we do when we're together is we do a little bit of drumming. Yeah. And there's, no one's a professional drummer. Yeah. We all just sort of <laughs> tap on it and, 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 and in some cases bang on it yeah. a bit. Uh, we equate this to being a bit of a grounding. It's a reset. Um, the educator will introduce what we're working on and where in the atelier we'll be working. There's two large tables in the space. They're, we call them gray table and green table. Mm -hmm. the, uh, each table will seat eight children, but we never have 16 children in there or right. 10 toddlers. It's always a small, small group. group. So five toddlers, eight, eight preschoolers. Yeah. It matches the ratio. Yeah. There's a large easel, a beautiful, as we were saying, uh, block and construction mm -hmm. area, and it's filled with beautiful, unique materials to create yeah. with. There's a, a coach tree that has really beautiful, rich colored fabrics on it. There's shelves with paints and plasticine and styrofoam and cardboard and pencils and all of the things that you expect would also be in there. Uh, lots of documentation on the walls as lots, well. Yeah. What I love about the space is that most everything in it, we either already had, mm -hmm. it was given to us by another London Bridge Center, or it was thrifted. Yeah. Which from a budgetary standpoint is great, but that's For not sure. why we chose to move in this way, nor is that the only advantage right. to moving in this way. So not purchasing new things is one way in which we care for the earth yes so at london bridge it's something that we are required to consider in all of our decision making mm -hmm. there's this endless loop of commercialism and consumerism sure is. that has a huge impact yeah. on the earth but yeah. also i think one of my favorite parts and, and probably one of the most noticeable par parts to stocking a room in that way mm -hmm. is that it's full of super unique materials super Most unique and, and really pretty and, yeah. and uh, that really draws the children in one of the things that i noticed at the tour that strive offered mm -hmm. the community and then last week we had 50 brazilian educators come in yes through fanshawe college right yes, yes. yeah they were here as well it was yeah, awesome it, it really was cool they what i found was the adults also were invited to play they mm. wanted to touch they wanted to sort of mess around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I believe in a typical uh, childcare early years environment, mm -hmm. you know, if you picture what a catalog might look yep. like, I don't believe that adults would be drawn in in the same way that yeah. they are playing with buttons. And right now we have a button invitation at the, in the front hallway. And it's really interesting. Often the parents will stand by and, and watch their child engage in right. whatever we have set up. But there's something about buttons. I think we all remember playing in our grandma's button jars, sure our mom's do. button jars yeah. when we were little. And the, 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 we are noticing the families sitting and, and playing with their children yeah. and, and talking about the materials. And That's it's beautiful. really cool. It's a, you know, they use china teacups to mix mm -hmm. color with water. Um, glass mirrors are on the table as they do drawings. And I, I think about, we can't just 
offer those materials in the classroom right. necessarily like that because there's 16 children or there's 10 children and two educators it really does lend itself to being in a different way mm. that is not really conducive to a classroom i think that there are some classrooms some educators some children that could manage with those yeah. materials yeah. but because the supervision and facilitation is much different then we really are able to uh, use and have uh, exposure to those mm -hmm. materials. Well, there's something to be said for um, things that children are accustomed to every single day in their classroom environment mm -hmm. versus a different and unique space that they only visit sometimes. There's a different level of care. I think that we as adults, when we go into new spaces that we demonstrate towards the materials in spaces versus our own living room where mm. who cares if I get a pizza stain on the couch like I think right. there is that different level of care that just naturally happens when we enter new and unique spaces yeah I so agree it would be a different feeling I think for the children and the educators yes yes when absolutely. they enter this space absolutely what we find for the educators too is that it's a really great time to mentor mm. like this side-by-side -side mentoring that I think a lot of educators long for. Mm -hmm. I offer them the opportunity to take the lead on experiences. I will uh, offer to take the lead on experiences. Right. Do you want to watch me uh, move through this experience? Are we going to let the child take the lead today? Mm -hmm. Do you want to take the lead today? So yeah. we enter into the space with some agreements, but it really is a lovely time and a lovely space to be able to sit and be fully present with the children. Yeah. Again, we can't always do that in the classroom. And I think we all strive for that. Of course, yeah. But there are so many things that pull us away, whether it is uh, the paperwork that we need mm -hmm. to constantly attend to or the, the little spill that's happened. Um, this way we can, they, they don't need to, to worry about that stuff so much, even in terms of the mess. Yeah. I, I take care of that at the end. I take care of that. Yeah. And the setup, I will take care of that as well. And there are times where, where they might be the ones setting up yeah. and, and cleaning up. But for the most part, I really want this to be a time where they don't have to fill their brains with that stuff. Yeah. Where they get to, again, be fully present with the children. How beneficial for everyone, the children and the educators. Yeah, yeah it's really great. Mm -hmm. It's really great. We... We adore that space, yeah. we adore it. And even when we are having an experience or considering an experience with the children, we will go into a classroom. Sometimes we know exactly which children are part of this work team and will be entering into the work. And other times we'll say, I've got this thing. Who wants to come to Atelier? And most, now we have to offer it maybe a little bit quieter right? <laughs> because everybody wants to go, in yeah. which case then we have to reassure yes. everybody's going we'll to get a, a chance. And yeah. waiting turns is hard, but it but is hard. Really important. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so how is that decided? Are you um, working over a period of time with the same group of children or how do, how do you, with a, such a large center, and I imagine so many groups of children wanting to have that experience, how does that dynamic work? So when we decide to work with a group of children, I think I think it really depends. Everything is everything is contextual. Hmm. It might be where we have specific work happening with an educator, and so then by default she will take perhaps she or he will take the children that they are working with. Okay. It may be where uh, this experience calls for uh, a mixed group of children. 
It may be where there is a group of children who have been working specifically on this thing over several times. So it really does, it changes every time. Mm -hmm. And simply deciding on who attends an experience in Atelier has to be a conversation. Mm -hmm. Because again, there's so much that we need to consider. So there have been times where it's a completely new group with the same work. It may be the same children with the same work. Mm but each classroom is connected to a pedagogical mentor. Mm -hmm. And so we will sort of decide early in the week who's going to atelier, with which group. Um, That's how we'll plan some team meetings and debriefs Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing as well. But there really is no right or wrong way. I feel like we are trying to master how to schedule and figure all of this out. And and maybe we won't even be able to. Maybe it's just this constant... Uh, responsiveness that this week mm. it looks like this and next week it's going to look a little very bit different. different very different because I remember when that used to be a gym space it was like oh preschool one got it at this time and preschool two yes. got it at this time and toddler one and it was very scheduled yes um, and we did consider that yeah. we did consider that as well because even now we'll sit and debrief and think oh you know we haven't seen this class an atelier mm. in quite a long time or this educator hasn't been in and then we have to do a little bit of investigation right what is it why is that 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 team uh that classroom isn't coming in sometimes it is because they're nervous mm. or they don't know how to um, enter into the space so we also have this thing we call atelier practice okay right so maybe a classroom isn't engaged in a longer term project yep. per se but we know that these times in the atelier are still really important so we will say well just come and play in the construction area Mm. bring your paint in let's set up some drawing so it can be something as simple as that it may be some ongoing work but I have found as soon as we give the educators a a few times in there just to practice get comfortable get comfortable that they then are starting to uh, sign up for time. So we do have a little notebook yeah. outside. Just we don't want two classrooms to all of a sudden meet together at the doors <laughs> and go, oh shoot, yeah. we, we, we both plan to be here today. Right. So right. there is there is a, a way in which they can sign up. But right. yeah, yeah. Well, and that makes sense too because I, I could imagine that it could be intimidating um, for folks because there are a lot more breakables in that space. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more. At risk, potentially, depending on your group of children, depending on your own comfort level as an educator, that it could feel a little bit intimidating. Absolutely, because everything that's in there, not everything, but a lot of what's in there is non-traditional materials. However, when we put materials in there, and certainly within, I'm a huge thrifter, I love thrift store shopping, uh, there's lots that I have to consider in that. So is it washable? Right. Is it? durable and durable doesn't mean not breakable right durable just means it's not going to fall apart in our hands and it can be washed (laughs) yeah without breaking down but there there's so much that i have to consider a lot of what even per se in dollar stores yeah it's not necessarily stuff that is meant for children you often see that little zero to three with a line through Mm -hmm. it often that stuff is uh it's decorative it's not even meant for children yet we put it in environments all the time the gems and whatnot of course we have to be really really careful we have a responsibility safety first oh first safety first in terms of if things break because because i'm never spending a whole lot of money on stuff like if a teacup breaks 
it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. And that in and of itself is a lesson. Yes. If if we hear glass breaking, which to be honest, hasn't really happened, um, then we'll say freeze. We don't want children to start to pick things up. Of course. But um, we want them to know that this could be hazardous. Yeah. You know, this this could hurt our bodies. So step back and then we'll, we'll go in and, and get things cleaned up. Yeah. But for the most part, that honestly doesn't even happen. Uh, caring for yeah. materials, caring for our environment is a huge part of our mm-hmm. care work. It's not just caring for the earth, caring for each other, caring for space, mm-hmm. caring for the more than human, all of that is a part of our, our daily work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it makes me think of um, back when How Does Learning Happen came to be and this, the, the phrase of viewing children as capable, competent, curious, and rich in potential, and what does capable mean? And a lot of conversations around glass jars, breakable things, and and folks assuming that if I put glass jars on my shelf, then I'm viewing children as capable. Mm-hmm. But it's this give and take of, I think, so many factors in what we choose to include in our spaces not just to check some imaginary box of what capable looks like, but being really intentional and thoughtful with those things. Yes, and and there are times where I know a specific group is coming in and I have to put things up. Mm -hmm. I have to set things up a little bit differently. I think that one thing that I should say is while the children are in this space. There's an expectation that they are sitting and attending to what we're doing. It's not a free play free space. Girl, right. It's not. And so again, that in and of itself lends itself to yep. being a bit more safe, right? Yep. It's it, it feels very controlled, but it's not that at all. They have a lot of control over what happens at this table, over their ideas, right. over this work, but they're not running around and playing. However, if we have a child with autism, for example, mm-hmm. and we do have several, mm-hmm. they get to be in that space in a different way. Right. They don't have to sit at the table and attend. They may simply be on the peripheral of what's happening. They may be observing from afar. Right. And you know, does this mean that chi- all the children then want to get up and wander around? No, no. And we yeah. will be transparent with the children and honest and mm-hmm. saying, Theo needs to be in this space in a different way. Right. I know that you can sit and be here. If there are toddlers or babies, like there are things that we just don't have down for them. Again, that's being responsible. We don't want to say, uh, children are capable, here's all the glass. Exactly. Right, right. We have to be responsible in the decisions that we're making. And I think as soon as we, um, as soon as we only put materials for children Mm. that are designed for children specifically yeah that i think we can also get a bit mindless in our work yeah. right this is a safe place this is a safe material well even those materials break down and, and can become hazardous yeah. and it doesn't mean that we stop uh, being alongside children or stop being aware of safety yeah. simply because it is a a, a child safe. it's yeah. a toy yeah. <laughs> right but i but because we are putting things in the environment that aren't traditionally yeah. toys. Things like silver candlesticks yeah. in the block area. They're really beautiful, but they can also be a bit heavy, yeah. right? So we, uh, I think it calls us to, again, be in this space in a different way. Mm-hmm. We have to be probably more aware, but yeah. again, it's easier to do because yeah. we're fully present. It's a small group of children. It really does support itself in that way. Mm-hmm. 
Are there any um, stories of experiences children have have had in the space that you want to share? Yeah, there's there's quite a few stories. I bet, there's but it was hard to choose. <laughs> there, yeah, it's and it's been so exciting. Uh, some of the stories we have uh, shared. Um, at the provincial level, uh, we've shared, we, we always have documentation up on our walls. Yeah. We share within London Bridge and, and the London community. But there are some stories that are near and dear to my heart. And as yeah. time goes on, those stories are replaced by other stories. Right. But one of my favorites probably is, uh, I've got two favorites. The first one is the dream catcher work. Okay. So my sister-in-law is Indigenous, and I, I purchased a dream catcher from her for the center. It's an owl dream catcher, and it caught my eye because all of the feathers on the owl are rainbow-colored oh, feathers. Beautiful. And I, I knew that it would be something that the children would think was beautiful. Of course. So sometimes the child's interest is what leads the experience, mm -hmm. but sometimes it is our interest yeah. as educators. I know that there could be value to this, so mm -hmm. I entered into, I offered this to the children. Right. They didn't say, I'm really curious about dream catchers. Yeah. I had offered this yeah. idea, again, because I saw there was, or felt as though there would be value in mm -hmm. it. So the first thing we did was I showed them this dream catcher. I offered it to them to, to gently hold and to look at, does anybody know what this is? Yeah. Tell me about what this is. And immediately there's interest. And we know that because their their bodies tell us yeah. that. They sort of, you know, they sit up, up in their seat mm -hmm. and their eyes get wide and they start to tell us stories about dream catchers that they have at their mm -hmm. homes. Uh, one little girl shared that uh, it's, a, it's a dreamer. She called it a dreamer. It's okay. a dreamer and it catches bad dreams, but not on Fridays. <laughs> Which immediately is like, why not on Friday? Yeah, right. Tell me more. So, yes, and so we sort of take what they're saying and yeah. we write it down, and our hearts quicken a little bit because yeah. we can't wait to dig into some of the the questions and comments that they've made. So once they had some experience touching and looking at it and talking about it, we offered them to draw it, and it was a facilitated drawing. Mm -hmm. And so by that I mean it wasn't a an observational drawing, which is here is this thing, see this thing, look closely and draw. Mm -hmm. It was a an experience where I said things such as, what color do we need for this? Okay, okay. let's go get this color. Um, this is a circle. Who wants to draw the first big circle? Who wants to draw the two little circles? What other colors do we need for the feathers? And, and so lots of turn taking yeah. and all of those other things that you know, all of those checklists like us to do things like color identification and right. turn taking and counting and all of Shape those things that are really important. They just happen yeah. in this very fluid, playful way. Yeah. So there is this beautiful drawing of this dream catcher. Mm -hmm. And they're so pleased as well when they, you know, this, this, this beautiful drawing. And so they created this together, the drawing. Yes. And so okay. it is like, it is a, a group drawing by about four or five children, I believe. So... We, I had to make a pedagogical decision. Am mm -hmm. I going to share the indigenous uh, stories around how dream catchers came to be? Yeah. I decided no, that's not the direction that I was gonna take because I, in the moment, believed that there was more value in them creating mm. uh, this dialogue as to how do you believe these work? Right. What is your experience around around these? and. So again, seeing myself as a listener first rather mm -hmm. than a teacher, um, thinking about what they tell us rather than telling them what to think. Right. So 
And and just you know, a little sidebar to that. I had read this article in Exchange Magazine, and it was talking about this idea of children are going to grow up to use technology that doesn't exist yet Definitely. to solve problems that we haven't even encountered. Yep. So giving children the opportunity to imagine and create is so so important, mm-hmm. and not just filling them with information. Right. So I asked the children, "How do the dreams go from our heads into the dream catcher?" And it was a really challenging question for them. That is a challenging question. They, yeah, like try to answer that yourself, right? And so um, asking children questions we don't know the answer to is is a really authentic way to converse with children rather than how many blocks is that? What color is this? (laughs) I know the answer to that. But I I really truly don't know how dreams go from our heads into the dream catcher. And the children would offer things like, I went to grandma's last night or... I have one of those at my house. And and so clearly I wasn't wording it well. Mm. Uh, the work was on my part to really consider, is this a question worth pursuing? Uh, do I need to reword it? Right. What's happening? And then it just clicked. I put a pencil into a child's hand and I said, draw the dream catcher for me. And she drew this dream catcher. Mm-hmm. And the other side of the page, I said, now draw your bad dream. And she drew this bad dream and she talked about the crocodiles and actually got a little bit teary. Mm. And I was like, oh no, am I traumatizing right. these children? <laughs> but then I said, how does the dream go from here all the way to the dream catcher? And as quick as anything, with complete certainty said, it's a dream path. And she drew a line from the dream catcher to the, um, to the bad dream. That's and beautiful. then you could almost see this like therapy happening inside her head. She said, my bad dreams, the crocodiles go into the dream catcher and you can see her her body language change a little bit. She went from, I was so scared to this is this is what happens now. And, and now I don't have my bad dream anymore. Mm. And then all of the children sort of followed suit. They all made a very similar drawing. So they created something that didn't exist yet. Yeah. And loved that. So from yeah. there, then we went to this, okay, so you guys all have your drawings. Now we, now we need to come up with one idea, mm. one drawing. So then we did a group drawing. The pathway idea persisted, mm. although another one did bubble up, and it was the rainbow bird will take our dreams to the oh, dream okay. catcher. And rainbow bird probably because it's an owl dream catcher yep. with Makes rainbow sense. colored feathers. Yep. But I just loved that they were able to sort of pull those connections. I loved that different ideas were coming to the table like mm-hmm. it's a garbage truck that takes our dreams mm-hmm. and you know my daddy will take it and right. and all of these little possibilities that start to come up yeah. um, in their heads so then from there we moved to the block area okay so we know what this looks like on paper mm-hmm. how are we going to build it mm. and and they eventually came up with this idea of the string so again this pathway idea right. persisted and in their drawings the pathway looked a lot like a string. And so we offered them um, lots of materials and, okay. and a little one took string and took it from the dream catcher because we physically brought the dream catcher over. We right. photocopied pictures of their dreams and had them in another corner of the block area. And she took the string from the dream catcher to the, to the dreams. And so it was a very similar process that an architect might go through right Right. there's this idea and then we put it on paper and then we collaborate and there's this 3d prototype that happens and it's not until i start to word things in that way parents prospective parents start to see Mm. the validity of the experience because until then 
they're hearing me talk about dream catchers. And I think maybe in their minds, they think it's a little bit frou-frou, but, right. but they, um, you know, when I start to talk about the process, it, it actually isn't about dream catchers at all. Exactly. It's about coming together. It's yeah. about uh, drawing, uh, putting ideas onto paper. It's the process. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So that is probably one of my favorite stories. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, yeah, it really was. And so it still has a, a lovely place oh, um, up in the atelier. We... Uh, I purchased another Dreamcatcher, more natural colors mm -hmm. that sits by our land acknowledgement at the front door as nice. well. And the children are like, "That's like that's that's the brother Dreamcatcher," oh. <laughs> and uh, and so they they've connected uh, that Dreamcatcher yeah. to the one that's in the atelier. But, yeah. but yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. And I think it just also goes to show, um, I, I you know I think over time the pendulum has swung with emergent curriculum so far that we removed ourselves entirely as educators and I think I've talked about it before on the podcast too that that don't, I don't believe was ever the intention we are equal members of our classroom communities as the children are yes. and our ideas and thoughts and wonderings are equally as important so this idea that you brought forward something you were curious about something that that delighted you and offered it to the children and look what happened with it is just such a beautiful story. Thank you for well, sharing. Well, they only know what they know, right? We need mm -hmm. to expose them to familiar things. Yeah. We need to expose them to new things. And we also need to be excited and curious yes. alongside them. Yeah. And when we are, almost always they will be too. Mm -hmm. Almost always. Yeah. And there, there's some times where I'm like, okay, that was a miss. Yeah. They're really <laughs> not happens. interested in this. And that's okay. Then I yep. respond. Yep. Sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, try a different strategy. And other times then I, I again, have a pedagogical decision to make yeah. where, okay, this was a miss. Yep. I'll try move along. Yep. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. That's beautiful. So if educators are listening and, and are inspired by this, atelier space they may or may not have like you said it took a lot of time for you to get Years. To here are there, are there things that you could recommend educators try or do in the meantime to capture a similar um, essence in their own programs well I think really looking at what you have mm -hmm. already and thinking about is this space really working for the children is it really working for us or is it missing something right. could it be more i think is a really great place to start really examining your own environments is important and also reimagining your environment mm. is important so for example one thing that we're starting to see which is so lovely i, I remember when i first started in childcare, storage was everything oh yes but then we start to see cupboard doors coming off mm -hmm. and creating little cubbies for children mm -hmm. to climb into so that is reimagining the use of space yeah so do you have a space that's a big storage closet right that could actually be a little mini atelier mm. Could you create a mini atelier in your classroom? Right. So this this space where there are lovely things that that maybe are available visually, but from a sta safety standpoint, maybe have to be up and out of reach mm -hmm. a bit. Could it be where maybe those things could be lower as well? There are a whole lot of loose parts that are so safe, sure, and beautiful uh, to be handled by yep. our littlest people. Yes. But often, often we can create those spaces with what we already have. Mm. It almost always is a rethinking of our, our way of being, yep. I believe. Yep. But look at your space and dream. 
mm. I think is a, is a really great place to start. Surround yourself with dreamers, uh, but don't be afraid to dream by yourself. Yep. If there are people who, who don't, uh, who don't believe that this is, um, I guess the, the right move right. to make. Right. But, um, ECEs are notoriously creative people. Oh, absolutely. Really. And and so we repurpose things all the time, mm-hmm. right? Egg cartons and like we we have oh, yeah. just always we've always had to do that. Yes. And so we're really good at doing that. And so I think that that with some uh, with creativity it absolutely can be done. But thinking that it's not just the physicality of the space, it also right. is a way of being. Right. And it's not that folks can come view your space and then just immediately replicate it. No, and nor could they because it's such a unique space, even just in terms of what we've purchased and put in there. And I think that's what makes it so beautiful. I often liken it to, uh, we see rows and rows of the same house being built on a street. we do. Right? And Mm -hmm. then you go inside every house and it looks different, Different. it feels different, it smells different. We don't want cookie cutter spaces for children. No. We We don't want... Um, everybody to have a Huron Heights atelier because the people that are in your space are really different, yeah. are really, really different. And we want it to um, to represent the people who fill the space. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's another a pendulum swing that happened over the years is making all centers look the same. Yes. Everyone repainted to these neutral colors that were all the same. Everyone put the same sandboxes from the same supplier in all the spaces that they they did start to look like little duplicates yeah across the board and and the uniquenesses of those communities weren't reflected right because we were so worried about being the same yes and I think this speaks to if you can't have an atelier space dedicated if you don't have the space or ability to do that what can you do in your own room that represents your community, your classroom community that is unique from everyone else's? Absolutely. How do you represent those children, those families, yourself, your teaching partners, your colleagues um, that is unique? And it might not be teacups it might not and be dream teacups. catchers. Yes. It might be it something. Probably com- won't it be. probably won't be. It'll be something entirely different that's specific to you and the children that you're caring for. Absolutely. And bringing families in on that and having those yeah. conversations, not just the, it was a good day conversations. <laughs> yeah. How was their sleep? Yeah. But tell me about your weekend. Yeah. Oh, you went to that. I went to that. I love that too. Yeah. And, um, and often those relationships will see families start to share more mm-hmm. and share more uh, verbally and even physically. Oh, this is, you know, this is a blanket that their grandma made that they just love. Yeah. Okay, bring it in. Absolutely. So this work doesn't happen outside of the families. No. And it also doesn't happen overnight. No. Oh, gosh. It's, no. it's a long process and it requires a lot of deep thinking. Yes. Some of our mentors had, had heard about the, envi- or the earth being the mm. first teacher. And I just loved that. Yes. I loved that. And so that comes into our practices a lot. And well, I don't mean yeah. the outdoors coming in. Right. I mean that impacting our decisions. Yes. Well, and you spoke about it even in, in the um, desire to use thrifted items yes. is the impact that has on the earth. So yes. it's not just bringing twigs and leaves into your room. And that means that we're responding to that. It's what other impacts are there? 
Right. And I and I think too about even filling a classroom with catalog items. Again, mm. that commercialism, yes. consumerism that is that is so uh, impactful on the earth. And then I think about there have been times where we have been given money from the government mm -hmm. to, um, you know, for whatever. Enhance for, the yes. whatever, in outdoor, indoor environment. Yes, yeah. here's the money in November and spend it by December mm -hmm. 31st. Yep. Have fun and shopping. These, and these catalog items take six to eight weeks to arrive. <laughs> and all of a sudden, then what? We're left over with money. Yeah. And so why not use more local resources, um, uh, things that have life left mm -hmm. in them that don't necessarily need to be manufactured mm -hmm. again that are already there mm -hmm. and offer the children and the educators so so much potential yeah that's beautiful yeah. okay would you like to play a game okay <laughs> <laughs> okay you, rapid fire but if you feel like you need to explain you can as well sure that's, that's okay so your favorite children's book Absolutely, The Velveteen Rabbit. Mm. I buy every copy I see. <laughs> I love, I love that story. That is a beautiful, it's a classic. It is, it yeah. is. And it's funny, as I think about that, it really is about reimagining again, isn't yeah. it? Right? So yeah. maybe it's a theme in my maybe life. Maybe it's a theme in your life. Yes. Uh, your favorite age group to work with? So tricky. I believe it is whichever age group is in front of me at the moment because I love all like if I had to choose though if, if yes if you, were to say, so you had to go back into classroom full-time which would you choose I would probably choose toddlers probably they're so fiercely independent yes one minute and so fiercely dependent the next yes I love I love their their I love everything about them I love everything about them see and I thought that um toddler educators were like the anomaly it's a theme that we've seen on the podcast I thought you had to be like maybe a little bit crazy to work with toddlers <laughs> and now everyone's saying they would choose toddlers it's so funny and I think part of that is there have been some great toddler stories come to light yes over the years when I first started childcare, it was preschoolers were the jam to work with yes. right it was like you had to do your time in the baby room <laughs> in the toddler room to be able to work with preschoolers but I think lots of beautiful toddler stories yep. have come to light showing how how rich and beautiful these little people are. Yes, absolutely. Uh, favorite professional learning you've attended? Hands down, Reggio Emilia study tour ah, in Italy, yes. hands down. It's on my bucket list. So inspiring. From the, the, the prep work that goes into going, mm -hmm. uh, the, the 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 physical spaces going through these these beautiful spaces uh their educators the the conference piece of it and the debrief that we have afterwards yeah it just leaves you with so so much like it will bring tears if i talk about it too much okay we won't talk yes. about it anymore yeah it but it's amazing. on my bucket list yes uh your favorite ice cream flavor uh, probably mint chip Oh, good mention. one. Yeah, I love that one. I love that, it. It's a controversial one. A controversial one. Love it or hate it. Exactly. <laughs> love it or hate it. My partner says it, it feels like you're eating toothpaste. Oh. And I was like, no, no, sir. You <laughs> I are wrong. I stop brushing if that was the case. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, I love it. Uh, and other than this one, your favorite podcast? Other than this one, do you know, I love, uh, I guess from a, like, personally, yeah. I'm a, crew, a true crime junkie. Oh, you're I'm, one of those. Yes, I, I really am. But professionally... I love Napcast. Okay. 
It is, um, if, if you look it up, there's lots of napcasts. So you, you would want to look for the one, um, Michael Brown, I believe is his name. Okay. Um, and he has a co-host. Uh, they are male educators of color who talk about all of the isms. Really nice. great. And I just, I just found a new one, The Powerful Pedagogy. Mm. Also really good. Okay. I love podcasts that talk about that those controversial things, mm-hmm. this shift that we're seeing in, in the sector. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. We'll link them as well too. Excellent. Great. Um, thank you so much, Kathy. Thanks it is for... a pleasure as always to talk to you. I really appreciate this opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. It's fun. And, um, you are definitely one of my colleagues in the sector that always helps me to think different and to think deeper. And there have been things you've said over the years that just have inspired me so much. Um, So I'm grateful to you. Thank you for that. And because of that, you'll be back on the podcast for some other topics. I'm quite confident. That's so kind. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. You can connect with us on Instagram at Leading Inspired Learning Pod or on our website at strivewo.ca slash podcast. I would love to have you tell a friend or colleague about this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Please join us next time.